Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 385 is recorded live November 1st, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we were running out of time before Christmas, as Mac pointed out last week. Uh, how are we doing today, Mac? I'm not doing too badly. At, uh, all the leaves in my neighborhood, I don't have any trees, but I have lots of leaves in my yard from my neighbors. Yeah, the, the leaves have just started. It seemed like a week ago they were all green, and now... Each tree is a different color, but it's solid that color, which I don't remember the fall colors coming that way. It seemed like they were a little bit more gradual and to work around the edges. And these, it's like somebody touched a tree and turned it yellow or gold or brown. Yeah, I got so. up flying last week and I got one good picture where the colors just turned. And then uh, around here, most that wind we had the last two days has pretty much got rid of the prettiness of the trees. There's, you know, the tops are gone and here, there, and yeah. there it's gone. But uh, it's, it. I don't think we had a big color change this year like we normally do. Maybe a week and that's about it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't get the, the gradual colors like you would uh, hope or expect this time of year. But, you know, I'll, I'll take a little bit longer summer. Uh, and we well, if, if you like the darkness, color. I mean, Halloween last night was good. It started out yeah. slow at our place. And then it picked up pretty good. Huh. Uh, you figure this is November already, change time coming up. So if you think it's dark when you get up in the morning, it's going to be darker for longer. Yeah, there was, uh, I think it was either Monday or Tuesday this week, which is the first time I had walked in the front door at work and it was dark. <laughs> and I was, I was thinking yep. it won't be too long and I'll be going to work in the dark and coming home in the dark. Yep. We'd like to thank everybody who is joining this week. We have Eric and Derek, both of them in the chat room. Uh, we record this program live every Thursday, usually about 9.30 today. We're getting started. It's about 9.50 by the time everything gets settled in and, in and we get the articles loaded. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Uh, with yesterday being Halloween, our first article is just a follow-up to that, and it is talking about a underwater Halloween costume contest staged in the Florida Keys. A group of scuba divers submerged 30 feet beneath the surface Wednesday to complete an underwater costume contest in the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary off Key Largo. Entrants included a mermaid man, a penguin, and movie favorites such as Batman, Teenage, teenage Mutant, Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Star Wars Stormtrooper. A hot dog and a cheeseburger buddy pair dived with a ketchup and mustard condiments. The contest host Rainbow Reef Dive Center is offering social media users a chance to vote for their favorite costume diver on their Instagram page. Top three vote getters announced Thursday will be rewarded with a prize of dive equipment and dive trips. The contest was staged near a shallow reef about five miles off Key Largo. And uh, that's some nice costumes. I, I hadn't heard 
of an underwater costume contest. It's actually kind of cool. We always hear about the uh, pumpkin carving, which is, has got to be that so many that we haven't covered them in years. Uh, but yeah, that's a little bit extra effort to put on a costume and then take that underwater with you. Some of those costumes are pretty nice. I mean, I like the stormtrooper. That looked pretty good. I, I wasn't quite sure how he was breathing. That one yeah. of the the lady who was a looked like Wonder Woman was a very nice one. Yeah, considering she had two uh, what side mounts. That was yes. a pretty good outfit. Yeah, but yeah, that's the first one I've seen like that. And you're right. I've seen the the pumpkin carving, but some of those guys doing that pumpkin carving are getting outrageously good. Oh yeah, yeah. It's maybe we should next year pick uh, whoever's done the best, and we'll we'll cover that. Yeah, because some of them. Are, I mean, some of the daytime ones I've seen, they're still good. But some of these guys, they obviously are practicing, practicing, practicing because they're very ornate. Yeah. Well, I think you must finish the event with all your fingers for it to count that would be on my hit parade <laughs> yeah i would consider myself a winner yeah so but these costumes i mean that that's a little that's pretty nice i like them yeah like you said the stormtrooper looked good uh let's see who's that the yeah i can't tell what superhero it is but uh whatever it is she did a great job yeah she, she did <laughs> hard to argue no, it, 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 it's a good thing it was warm water too. Yes, <laughs> I was little, I was watching it, but I suddenly got tons of audio. I don't know where it came from. Oh, <laughs> so I muted my mic so it wouldn't feed back on you. Yeah, so I, I haven't seen the video. I've just seen the the still shots. Well, it wasn't my heavy breathing. I just want to make sure you understood that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then I think DEMA is getting started. Uh, we're starting to see the DEMA articles roll in. The first one was the Abington, Abington, I said, Abington, D-O-N, Foundation Awards first DEMA show scholarship uh, announced that Deanna Morris Stacy had won It's About Time scholarship for next year's DEMA show in Las Vegas. Traveling from Tennessee, Deanna will be guided by the Abington Foundation to help her network and make all those all important personal introductions of key industry leaders during the four-day event. The foundation's mission is to empower the female pursuit of science, technology, engineering, mathematics industries worldwide by providing all-expense-paid trip to the leading industry show like DEMA. Deanna's hotel, conference registration, round-trip airfare will be included. And they go on and got some some, uh, quotes from some other people. So, Yeah, that was also, I think, noted in the... uh advertisement or the information item we got from wolves this week talking about the oh, demo show yeah yeah i'm gonna have to make it one year maybe next year since it'll be our 10th year on the air we'll go ahead and have to do that we'll have to go down to dima since they they spurned me the first year we did the program uh we've been on the air almost a full year and i tried to to get in and uh i don't think they had any idea what a podcast was they were a little bit confused and I thought, nah, screw it. <laughs> you're not. You don't want me there. I don't want to be there. Yep. Long time ago. Yeah. So, so maybe we'll crash. We'll go incognito. I don't know if I'm going to go. I'm going to wear my shirt, scuba obsessed, with the tanks on the back. <laughs> okay. They'll boot us out now. So let's go ahead and look at the next one. Uh, we have Jacques Cousteau's grandson, 
to map the depths of the massive blue hole off Belize. A new expedition is set to map the bowels of the mysterious blue sinkhole off the coast of Belize, made famous by explorer and filmmaker Jacques Cousteau, who was so impressed with the formation he named it one of the top scuba diving sites in the world. Cousteau visited the sinkhole in 1971, and now nearly a half a century later, his grandson Fabian Cousteau, also a filmmaker and ocean conservationist, who returned to Belize submerged Great Blue Hole, which is so big two Boeing 747s could hide out comfortably in its innards. For an expedition, Cousteau has teamed up with project lead Aquatica Submarines, a submersible company, Rotan Institute of Deep Sea Exploration, entrepreneur Richard Branson and founder of Virgin Group, and co-founder of Oceans Unite. The Blue Hole, part of the Belize Barrier Reef System, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, is 1,048 feet or 318 meters in diameter and 470 feet, 407 feet deep, which is about 124 meters. An eerie, beautiful hole lies in the center of Lighthouse Reef. It wasn't always a sinkhole, but rather started as a limestone cave formed during the last glacial period, according to Atlas Obscura. But with rising oceans, the cave flooded, collapsed, leaving behind memorizing geological formations below the water, enticing divers to flood in from around the world. Under the blue depths, divers can see, for example, large stalactites, formations like hanging, I was I saying icicles? Yes, hang like icicles from the ceiling. I don't, that's one of those words, I don't know if I'd quite seen it spelled out like that. And stalagmites, which are rock formations that rise from the sinkhole floor, according to Atlas Obscura. The team will make multiple dives. Why do they have to quote them when that's not even, that's, do they own Atlas Obscura? I don't know. Uh, it's like you don't need to, to reference Atlas Obscura to explain what stalagmites and stalactites are. A, a team will make multiple dives at the bottom of the Great Blue Hole with piloted submersible, collect scientific samples, map out the structure of the hole, record such environmental factors as water quality data, and provide insights to how much light reaches parts of the water, how much bacteria life is there, according to Engadget. The main goal of the map out the hole's still mysterious internal structure using sonar, which using sound waves to detect objects, formations, or surfaces underneath the water. Further, the team hopes to find an alleged oxygen-depleted layer near the bottom of the blue hole. Such an area could offer an opportunity to find preserved life unperturbed by famous elements, the team members told in Gadget. They also really want to be bring awareness to the ocean conservation, such as shooting through a live video from the depths to educate the public about the threat that such areas face because of the pressure of global warming. This is That's also a good sight to see the picture you've got. Quite often on uh, Skydiver Magazine, they mm-hmm. are doing parachute jumps with that under them. So the guy at the video is at the top looking at the skydivers go down into the hole. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, but they're not, I like they don't them, have yeah. dive gear on. They have maybe snorkel, maybe mask, but uh, not dive gear per se. It's, it's that's another one. We're talking about bucket list dives. I, the the blue hole off Belize. That would be very uh, nice. I worked, I worked with a guy who uh, used to go to Belize every year for diving. And the fact that was the only diving he did. He lives like a block from here, and I've never been able to talk him into diving up here. He he wears a a seven millimeter wetsuit down there. He says he's just no way he could imagine diving in the cold. Ha. Yeah, I keep. Uh, I have to bug him some more. And then we have a shock discovery, historic ship found by divers near the North Pole. 
Benjamin Lay Smith, whose aunt was the mother of the famous nurse who looked after the injured so- soldiers in the Crimean War, has become a forgotten British explorer of the Arctic. He undertook five major scientific expeditions in North Pole, but in 1881, he and his crew became stranded more than 10 months in the freezing cold France Joseph land after their ship was crushed by a giant iceberg. 130-foot era steam yacht sank in deep in the Russian waters, and the crew barely survived. Fortunately, some of the men were experienced hunters from the Shetland Islands, and their group lived by hunting seals, walruses, and polar bears. The 25 men had to wait 10 months for the ice sheets to clear before they could turn salvage tablecloths in the sails for a new boat. After crossing 200 miles of treacherous Arctic Sea to Novia Zemlya, they were rescued by the British search party. The boat had now been identified by Russian divers from St. Petersburg Maritime Heritage Association who found the vessel near Cape Flora, an island just 550 miles from the North Pole, which Mr. Lay Smith claimed, uh, named after his cousin. The wreck was accidentally spotted by sonar last year, but September scientists from the Russian Marine Heritage Open Ocean 2017 expedition made the 2,000-mile journey back to investigate further. Divers went down more than 60 feet in freezing cold temperatures to retrieve artifacts which confirmed the wreck was Leah Smith era. Some of the items include a rum flagon embossed with the name of wine and spirits shop in the Peterheads, uh, Scotland, where the ship was built. Charlotte Moore, great-great-grandniece of uh, Lee Smith, told the Telegraph she hoped the discovery of the ship would help raise her relative's profile. He deserves to be higher in the pantheon of Arctic explorers. Mr. Lee Smith was born in Sussex in 1828, also a distant relative of Helena Bonham Carter after another of his aunts married into the family. He brought back hundreds of specimens from the Arctic region by the Royal Botanical Botanic Gardens, in Kew, as well as live polar bears for the London Zoo. He built up such a reputation he was able to commission the arrow to be especially built for his fourth expedition. Some artifacts are still on display at the British Museum. Last week, scientists confirmed the oldest shipwreck ever found, which dates back to 400 BC. Now they're talking about the other one. And I think I had another article, and I didn't realize it was related, and that was the one, and this one's got some better pictures. And this is talking about the, uh, let me get up to the top. This one was in the Daily Mail. It says, rum container made in Scotland proves the 19th century shipwreck found by Russians belonged to the forgotten British polar Benjamin Lee Smith. And if you take a look at those photos, that is that is nice. Too bad they broke it. I was going to say, it, it looked interesting. Big, big part of it. Yeah. The picture of the boat is awesome. Yeah. There's just something beautiful about it. I, I know that's been that's a sepia print that they somebody's colored a little bit, but excellent contrast and detail. I don't think I wanted to make that a ten month stay living on polar bear. No, but that, that's how you that's how you told everybody you're he man. <laughs> you, yeah, you you went up you went up to Alaska, and then when you think about it, so you get up there, uh, it sinks or or gets crushed in the ice, and then you've got ten months to wait until it thaws enough to you can get out. And everybody thinks you're dead while you're gone. Yeah. And then they say uh, that they, they sent a search party. Did they really send a search party or does that just happen to be another crew that, you know, Hey, why don't you go up there and see what you can find? And if you just happen to see somebody, then you can tell them we didn't forget about them. But wow, that's a whole different time. Combination yeah. probably. Yeah. 
Yeah, it said the remains confirmed the elegant British steam yacht, which was powered by a 50-horsepower engine. Let's see if there's anything else in there. This one uh, there's a, a video on the right-hand that. side that I'm looking at that's got figurines and stuff. Oh, yeah, there's one where they're showing... Uh, yeah, the guy's got, he's holding some sort of artifact. In his. Yeah, that looks like a dragon. It is a dragon. Fact. Laboratory dishes, tableware, elements from the ship decorations. Yeah, good videos. Good good pictures. Yeah. You see the color still on those dragon wings? They're blue. Yeah. Yeah, it said uh, 45 small artifacts were collected, including ceramic pieces of laboratory dishes and tableware. Elements of the ship's decoration, details of the ship's equipment, and mechanisms slash rifle carts. Wow. I thought it was interesting, that one fact, that uh, the bow and the stern of the vessel were missing and are presumed to have been destroyed by ice that crushed it. So somewhere around there's the bow and the stern, which I would think would have chain locker and captain's quarters in the stern. Yeah, this, this article goes into a lot of detail. Yeah, and it's only 65 feet deep. wonder if they were like try, they were approaching land when they got caught in the ice. or I don't know. I'm looking at this one picture of one of the divers, and he is not wearing a full-face mask because I can see the skin of his face all around his mask. So you figure, what, 28 degrees water? That's going to be a wee bit chilly. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, some, I, I see some... Very nice. I see some bare skin there. They said they, uh, anticipating that long winter months ahead, they built a solid hut made from rocks, earth, and wood on a green patch 20 feet above sea level. They built huts to store fish and meat they would need to kill and preserve. Obviously, if they're storing meat and fish, I hope they're already dead. Well, and you think about it, you look at that island, I don't see a whole bunch of trees. True. What is this Bob the dog? Bob the dog was invaluable in this, and his unremitting courage, none of this, without his unremitting courage, none of this would have been possible. So I wonder if they had a, oh yeah, did you read the last part? It had a a cat, a canary, and a dog named Bob. Yeah. That's cool. So is that like the cycle of life? You feed the canary to the cat and the cat to the dog? I don't know. Every man survives, it says. And then, yeah, and then, and then maybe the the dog was like Easter dinner or something. I bet he was the guy that kept him aware of like the polar bear would come near him or them. Oh, could could the be. Dog would know it before they would. That's a really nice article, and the pictures are great, especially on the deck of the boat before they had the problem. Yeah, yeah lots said, of different uh, in the ice and everything. Yeah. Yeah, they said it was a purpose-built ship, specifically made for Smith. Era sailed on 14th of June, 1885, with with a crew, the uh, 25 crew, a cat, a canary, and a dog called Bob. Oh. En route, the Arctic ship was recorded meeting the, at sea other ships from Peterhead. Lee Smith entertained senior crew member aboard the Era, including Arthur Conan Doyle, then the ship surgeon on the Hope. Wow, that is that is. There, I like that one picture where they're way off from it when it's trapped in the ice and see all the ice around it. That's a good shot. But I just wondered if they really thought they were going to make it. And how many polar bears do you have to kill before, I mean, that you can live nine or ten months? 
Well, they're pretty big. Uh, but I just want to know how they kept warm. If you know, are they burning parts of the boat? You know, they say they couldn't find the stern or the bow. Could that have been firewood for the winter? Well, if they had a, a motor, I mean, um, they said what fifty horsepower. Yeah, they might have taken the boiler and stuff apart and put it on shore. Oh they yeah, they, they cooking stove. Yeah, cooking yeah. stove. So yeah, push come to shove, burn the boat because you're not going to go anywhere in it. No, no. Yeah, those, I mean, the guys back in those days had the intestinal fortitude and other parts of the anatomy that we just don't have nowadays, I don't think. Well, they didn't, they didn't expect it to be easy. At least uh, you would hope that going up there, or you had enough people experience with it being rough that uh, yeah. they wouldn't have thought it was going to be very easy. I mean, you right. couldn't pay people enough to go do that now, replicate that in a sailing boat. No way. Do you have do you have internet or Wi-Fi? You mean as you're going there? <laughs> yeah. Or staying yeah. there? Or, no, no, of course not. I'd like to know what kind of uh, photo equipment they had and that they were able to keep the plates so we could see these pictures. Well, they've, they've uh, didn't they just find some plates in Antarctica and were able to expose, uh, develop them? They had been taken and never developed and... So, I saw uh, I saw a whole bunch uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was a program on uh, I can't remember where it's at in Alaska, but uh, the bottom line was they came across a swimming pool. What do you need a swimming pool in Alaska that had been filled in, and it was full of video, not video, but of uh, projections film, the kind that would burn. Oh, the, the uh, nitrates. So yeah. they they had buried them in that covering it with dirt. And the darn things were still decent. Wow. And, and they obviously wound up digging them out, excavating it, arranged for the Canadian government to transport them as their hazardous materials because of the fire hazard. And then mm-hmm. they were short excerpts of them. And, of course, they weren't perfect, but they were very, very good, very interesting. Oh, I'll have and to look that up. A, yeah, part of the history that was lost. Yeah, because a lot of those films, there, there's uh, – Right here in Bering Springs, one there was an early movie filmed, and it was on that uh, medium, and it, it didn't survive. So, yeah. other than a few still shots that were taken while they were filming the movie, uh, nobody, you know, living in the last eighty years has, has seen it. Right. Well, they they were able to recoup many dozen. I was going to say hundreds, but I know it was many dozens of uh, film that were really really good. And then we have one just a little bit closer to home. And this is one that you you turned me on to. This is yeah. from the Mining Journal. And out of Marquette, uh, Don Fassbender of Marquette's scuba dives using ultraviolet light. Uh, this allowed him to find unusual glowing rocks called uperlites, which have made uh, the news lately. Fassbender had a special scuba UV lights, which he was using recently in Lake Superior near Marquette Lighthouse, where he found a few uperlites. That led him to believe there may be more, so he set out again, again in search of the unusual rocks. Over the next knife dive opportunity, I took the lights with me. I used the UV setting, and then I found them in the lake right there along the pipeline, Fassbender said. The pipeline is found between the lighthouse and the Coast Guard building. Although most rockhounds probably don't have Uper lights in their collections, Fassbender read that they've been discovered near Houghton in northern Wisconsin. I think they're all around Lake Superior Watershed, so I decided to look in Marquette, and sure enough, there are some right here, Fassbender said. 
according to uperlights.com. Uperlights are a sinite rock, rich in fluorescent sodalite, recently found by the Upper Peninsula's Eric, oh my goodness, Rintamaki. They resembled gray light, gray rocks to the naked eye, but under UV light, the mineral composites mark make the rocks glow. Uh, the discovery featured in Forbes magazine, CBS News, and many other media outlets. On September 11th, the article in the Detroit Free Press said, Rintamaki, who lives in Brimley, was on Lake Superior Beach during the summer of 2017 to look for another notable geological find, agates, and failed in his first three quests. On the fourth trip, he came across the three dime-sized fluorescent stones. In December, Michigan Tech- Technological University geologist told him he might have come across something never seen before in Michigan. And after testing and analysis, the rocks were sent to the University of Saskatchewan, which confirmed geologist findings. Which it, don't you find that a little odd? That in tech, which the whole point is geology, didn't have the the experience on identifying them. I mean, I guess they were just looking for verification. Uh, it was Rin, Rintamaki who came up with the name Uperlite. He even maintains the Uperlite Facebook page. Okay, uh, have have you? I mean, this is the first I've heard of this. Did I lose you, Mac? Nope, I'm here. Oh, okay. It'd be interesting. I just, you know, I've not seen UV lights underwater, you know, capable for sale. I never really thought about it, but now that I know that, it's like I wouldn't mind having one to check out the bottom there. I wonder. It doesn't have to be dark. It's got to be, you know, wherever I would use a light, let's see if it works. Well, what he is it sounds like he turns off his regular dive light. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says using ultraviolet light does have its challenges. The problem is it's so dark you can't use regular dive lights at the same time. So you're diving in black light looking for a few lights that will interact with your lights. You're dived essentially. So I'd, I'll have to research because if we could make uh, ultraviolet lights out of LEDs, then you could make just a little uh, light that you could hang and you just every once in a while turn off your light, turn that on. Oh yeah, uh, I thought you, that, you saw the other part though. They were talking about what did show up is some of the garbage on the bottom. The paper and stuff will react to the light, so you'll see that where you might not have seen it before. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, they were talking about when you do that, then go ahead and clean it up because now that you can see it, pick it up. Said, yes. um, noting that man-made trash fluorescences a lot. And it's easy to spot the post ended thusly. Let's clean up Lake Superior so everyone can enjoy her beauty for generations to come. Yeah. And and we advocate that anytime you're out there doing a dive, whether it's dark or light, you pick up some trash. Did you see the part where they say the crayfish look green underwater in that yeah. light? It makes you wonder what uh spectrum of of light some of these creatures are, are normally used to. Yes, it does. Or maybe the light will make them aggressive and they have big teeth. And they'll say, oh, my God, we're being invaded. And they'll, they'll attack. I, I've heard that if you put the UV light on them, they, like, mutate and grow to, like, four feet long. <laughs> so we, we'd have the superior lob, lobster hunting would be would become popular. Oh, yeah. And then we have one uh, mystery surrounds Old Lake, Michigan. 
shipwreck. And this is a long article, so I don't think we're going to go all the way through it, but it's a certainly a good read. This one's from the MLive.com website. And they're referring to 138 years ago, this fall schooner hauling iron ore met a violent end in a sudden squall in northern Lake Michigan. The wreck still litters the bottom of the lake near Frankfurt and sparked a haunting mystery that continued to be part of the Great Lakes lore, a woman who, a woman who died lashed to the sinking ship's mask. Boaters have floated over the waterlogged timbers offshore. They're all that remain of the J. Hazard heart cell that a U.S. Life Saving Service annual report that goes into great deal detail about the 1880 wreck and its controversial rescue effort. The story itself is an extraordinary effort. Townspeople and surfmen in the nearby Life Saving Station worked together under grueling conditions for more than 12 hours to save seven men aboard. But the only woman on the ship, a cook named uh, Lydia Dale from Toledo, remained frustratingly out of reach. One sailor after another reached the safety of the beach that horrible day, only to tell rescuers the woman was already dead. But was it true? A movie has been made about the heart cell, and at least one book has been loosely based on the wreck. But to truly understand what it was like out there in the vicious squall, a day that's become known as Big Blow because it sent other ships under the wave, one only has to read the harrowing account penned by the annual government report. The level of detail is amazing, and if the writer didn't go on to author adventure novels, is a loss for readers everywhere. We're drawing the historical event here to tell Hartzell's story, why the mystery of Lydia Dale persists. An easy trip and then a violent squall. And then they go on and on. So if you want to read read the story, they have to find out. But uh, the kind of the gist of it is they weren't really convinced uh, that... Uh, she was out of reach. Uh, they said that uh, she was on the larger side and the men didn't want to have to bring her down. It's kind of the paraphrase, but uh, to get the whole story, you'll have to take a look at it. Yeah, they said she was seriously ill when they took her up 50 foot. Took all four men to get her up. The- so they, were, they, they took her up the mast trying to get, uh, every, well, not just her, but everybody out of the water as the ship was sinking. Yeah, they said she was wrapped in blankets, her head lay on a sailor's knees for support. Like the rest of the crew, she was covered in wet canvas cut from gaff topsail, from the gaff topsail. Yeah, and they, they use the breeches buoys, which we've talked about before, which is a life-saving device. They would string a line from the ship all the way to the shore, and uh, it's kind of like you rode into it, kind of like a giant diaper with a with a ring around it. And uh, it was a 17-mile journey. Even got a picture of the uh, the gun they used to kick the breeches buoy lying over. Yeah, the Lyle gun. Yep. Boy, you're right. That's a long article. Yeah, it goes it goes on and on. It's a great story. It, it's worth the read. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm really liking this website. Yeah, you know, it's. Well, you I'm saw gonna, what the controversy is, didn't you? Uh, Her body came ashore 17 days later. The coroner determined she died of drowning, leaving it to be inferred that she was left upon the wreck alive, perished upon the subsequent fall of the mast into the sea. Huh. So whether it did or it didn't, who knows? I'm not quite sure I I like the way that ended, though. Did you read the ending to it? No, I didn't. It remains and will doubtlessly always remain a mystery whether as the coroner's jury substantially found the poor woman was needlessly sacrificed 
Whether she was abandoned in her insensibility because her companions felt the impossibility of luring her to the car. Yeah, that's what I was referring is that the, some of the discussion was that she's just too heavy to uh, for them to bring down. Interesting. And that would have been entertainment for that that time and day because there was you know you didn't have uh, Netflix or something to stream things so the court case and everything would have been followed very closely. Oh, you you betcha! Just like everybody went to the hangings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that poor boy. Yeah. Uh, so that does it for scuba in the news. We do have whoa, an article whoa, whoa. which is. Well, I was say, yeah, we got that that scuba tank. I thought you were going to jump over that. Yeah. No, no, we're going to we, we'll call that potentially cool scuba gear, but I don't know as many of these kickstarters go. So this is the uh, the website had is geeky gadgets, and I also took a look at it on uh, uh, Kickstarter. So this article was posted on the twenty sixth to kind of give you an idea how long it's it's been going. But the Mate Eight Mini Scuba Diving Tank idea. For travel, then the article says anyone interested in exploring beneath the waves may be interested in a new mini scuba tank called the Mate 8. Compact design makes it a perfect traveling or small dives, offering a portable refillable mini scuba tank that's capable of providing up to 18 minutes of air and can be refilled using a foot pump. Watch a demonstration video below to more and more to learn more about the Mate 8 mini scuba diving tank, which has been launched on Kickstarter this week. Available. For a measly 499 uh, euros or 443 pounds, offering a 10% reduction to final price, which takes effect once crowdfunding campaign comes to the end. If all goes well, worldwide shipping is expected to take place during July 2019. M8 is revolutionary mini scuba tank, allows you to enjoy the underwater world for up to 18 minutes. Besides, it can be refilled by the user. As described later, M8 is ideal for two newly graduated friends. One in aeronautical engineering and the other in business management. Its purpose is to approach people in the underwater world in a different way. Thanks to its simplicity, everyone can use it, both certified divers and people without diving experience. Full specifications and complete list are available to pledge options. Jump over to official Kickstarter crowdfunding page. So I always like that part. Even those without scuba experience can. Yeah, if you don't know how to properly use it, go ahead. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the worst you can happen? Drowning, I mean, air yeah. embolism. No, we we say this all the time about this type of tank and the other ones we've talked about through the years, like spare air. How is this better than spare air? Well, that's is this what this sounds like is a spare air. But I'm looking at the pictorial. You see the picture of it, right? I, I see the picture. It looks like a. Just a tank. It's got uh, a baby a, tank. Oh yeah, it's a tiny one, and it's got some sort of modified regulator with looks like non-standard connectors. Something I'm not familiar with in the United States. Maybe this is an EU, but it's not. It's definitely not like there's. It's not a DIN fitting, right? And it's got a button pressure gauge and a swivel out on the side for your for your yeah. hose. But if you're going to use that, I don't think you're going to use a BC with it. Because <laughs> no. you don't have the air, because you don't have any capacity. Well, well, look at the photo. So you've got the guy in the Kickstarter. I don't know if you clicked over the Kickstarter, but they've got the guy in it, and he's wearing it like a vest. He's got slung over his back, and yeah, there's no BC. He's just he's doing it like a like a snorkel. In fact, he's wearing yeah. a snorkel. 
if I say that. Yeah, and it says, so here they, they, they say it gives you independency. Thanks to a specially designed valve, the refill can be done in complete autonomy without the need for a diving center. There are three ways to refill your M8. Three stages hand pump. Unlike common bicycle pump, which can reach up to 15 bar, this pump has been designed to compress air till a pressure of 200 bar. Portable electric mini compressors, more comfortable than the hand pump is for its effort. The refill only requires about three minutes and weighs 14 kilograms, allows you to carry it everywhere. Also equipped with a specially designed water tank, realized with a 3D printer to enable the water cooling. So they're saying the compressor, let me go if I can see that, the picture of the compressor again. I just looked at the video. The girls are very interesting who are pumping the air up. Well, that that's the requirement. You know, if you look at the, the photo, here you've got two men standing facing each other gabbing. You got one girl in a bikini that looks like it defies gravity sitting next to it. Then you've got another girl who is obviously uh, experimenting and challenging the uh, durability of stretch material, pumping the bicycle pump up and down. <laughs> They sh- I think they missed it. They should have done a GIF there or a GIF, depending on how you want to say it. I like the way but they what? share an air on the bottom at 20-something feet. That guy's it's way the hell down in that one picture. But they I, don't I show do you hope they do have some diving. So. Yeah, I'm hoping that they got a cameraman with a set of doubles in his back and a, a, a an 80 uh, side-mounted. Oh, there's an electric little motor you can have, too, for mini Oh, yeah, that... Yeah, the, the mini compressor. Yeah, that's, that's the one I was reading. It's like, it says, a specially designed water tank realized with a 3D printer to enable water cooling. So in their prototype, they made some sort of water cooling jacket for this compressor. Uh, I mean, that that is interesting because that's something that, you know, we can't do without spending thousands of dollars. Yeah, probably $1,000 you might be able to find a used uh air compressor that can get you up. Now, do they say, I, I need to translate design to the air is 200 bar, but they don't say how much the, uh, the mini compressor will take it up to. I don't know if it goes with the same, uh, pressure. Yeah. Did you look at that? Did you watch the video? No, I, again, I can't watch the video. I'm just watching it. It's cute little thing, but darn no capacity. Well, then again, you're not worried about capacity because that tanks, what biggest no. two fists just about. The only way I can see this positive for us in the scuba diving industry is if it, if somebody tries this, enjoys it such that they have the real way. Because you, you're not in any time. In fact, I wonder how many people are going to swim down, run out of air, and then like rocket to the surface. Well, the nice part about that is, even if they run out of air, it doesn't waver much. No, no. It says dive tables indicate 152 minutes as maximum permanence time at 10 meters deep to avoid the decompression at the end of the dive. (laughs) You're going to be down 18 minutes at 30 feet. I don't think you got too much decompression to worry about. Well, I think that's what they're trying to say is that as long as you stay, if you never go more than 10 meters, you're going to be fine. Uh, But as far as from decompression, you will not get 152 minutes of time at 10 meters on that tank. And even snorkeling, none of these people have vest on. No. Actually, that vest would be a drag if you were. Yeah. Well, it is interesting looking. 
And again, if anybody would like to send us one, we will be more than happy to give you a truthful evaluation of it. Yeah. So the Kickstarter, let's see, what's the minimum price? It says pledge 499 euros, uh, which is about $566 for the A package, which is the tank, the harness, the case, the uh, a manual, I guess, and, and gadgets. How much do you have to do before you get the pump, the hand pump? So you you have to invest another 100 euros to get the hand pump. That seems a little pricey for a bicycle pump. Yeah. Steroids. I just take a big tank and then I got a lot of air. Yeah. So or I, I get a battery operated hookah just yeah. as well. Yeah. And then the, uh, to get that with a compressor, which doesn't include the hand pump, that's 999 euros or about $1,133. Let's see. 1200 gets you the hand pump, the mini compressor. Oh, and that one comes with a DIN valve. See, there's, there's something about this that just doesn't ring right with it. it. says the hardware is made in Italy, which that might explain some of the text wording that maybe it's an uh, Italian company who's doing this. Beyond uh, this did the Google thing. But it is interesting. Got, to, I say, yeah. It's interesting to look at, but yeah. for I'm, a normal diver, I'm not convinced. Yeah, and I'm a little skeptical on the program because you look, October 26th is when they – they launched it. And what, what you do when you do a Kickstarter is you do either press releases or you pay some of these sites like Geeky Gadget. It was probably a native advertising. They had to pay to get that uh, inserted in. But all their investment to date has gotten them a whopping two, two backers for 640 euro. Their goal is 45,000 euros with 32 days yet to go. So they are not on a rip, rip roaring pace to get this thing met. So that interesting. Like you said, if somebody wants to send us one, we'd certainly give it a try. Absolutely. Well, and then that does do it for Scuba in the News. So we have anybody got any diving in the last week? Um, I think they finished up their, uh, did they, did they have some more certifications for the uh, adaptive diving training? No, I believe that was completed. Uh, the actual event will be, I believe, the 17th of this month, which is week after next. Okay. And uh, I'd like to be able to make it that day, uh, hopefully. I enjoyed it last year, and if nothing else, I can help on the surface. I would certainly love to go, but the conflict I had last year, I have this year as well, which is I'm refereeing a robotics event. So yeah, I will not be able to make it, but I wish I was. Right. Uh, I was looking for something to talk about tonight, the safety aspect, and I've got one that's quite interesting. It may be a little long. No, go for it. I got it out of the scuba board, and it's called Near Misses and Lessons Learned. And the bottom line on this is complacency kills. It's not just an empty threat. And it was interesting reading the article and then all the information that people shared after it. Uh, the majority of the comments were, this is a very good item to listen to. And then you had some good techies who are familiar with CCRs chimed in a little bit and then emphasize the same aspect that complacency is going to kill you. So I'll go ahead and read this. Okay. Uh, this is written by a gentleman and very good, very nicely written. Here's what he said. I recently had a very near-death experience at the start of a dive in truck. 
I know it sounds dramatic, but it is absolutely serious. The dive was on the San Francisco Maru. This was one of the wrecks I really badly wanted to see during the trip, which means I guess I've got to schedule a return visit to do the dive again. I was in the second group jumping in the water and was on a CCR. The short version of the incident is I jumped in the water and was preparing to dive. I took a breath and felt dizzy. I stopped, took another breath, and thought to myself, I should get back on the boat. The next thing I remember is waking up on the dive deck, people pounding on me trying to jam a regulator in my mouth. I was able to get up and get inside to the air conditioner, put me on oxygen, brought me to ER where I spent a few hours sucking down oxygen, taking an IV and being poked, prodded, and tested. Once I was safe to be released, I went to the hotel by the airport and rested until it was time to go home. And then he gave, here is the timeline given to me by one of the divers directly involved in the rescue. 8.05, jumped into the water. 8.55, non-responsive at lift, jaw lock. 9.03, on deck, non-responsive, weak pulse, owls released. 9.05, blue coloration, limp still, forcing oxygen with jaw forced open. 908, white sputum, no blood, dark blue, tiny pupils, turned on the side, pushing stomach and chest to balance forced oxygen intake. At 910, signs of breathing, jaw releasing. 920, responsive and irritable, small amount of phlegm. 935, fusing oxygen, moved air-conditioned room, bluish in coloring. 10 o'clock, tired, but with slightly tight sternum, laying down, rotated to the side, able to breathe on demand oxygen. 10.10, light sensitivity and nausea without vomiting. 10.30, arrived at hospital, transported on oxygen from boat, demand regulator. IV installed with 0.9% sodium chloride, low oxygen notated by finger monitor of 89, creased to 96 and removed monitor. 11 o'clock, EKG completed, x-ray completed of chest. He was able to stand with assistance. 11.05, complaining of cold and stiff on small gurney, wrapped in sheet and towel resting. 11.10, drowsy with pink hue returning to the face. 12.10, stood up and walked 10 steps to the bathroom on his own, light clear urine. 12.20, complaining of mild headache, onset increase about 10 minutes ago. Does not desire anything to eat at this time. Firm desire to stay away from all narcotics. Turned on side, drifting into light sleep. At 1400, checked into Mr. Benin's rest area. Resting in cool room, drank a third of a bottle of water, fruit smoothie, water, Diet Coke in the fridge, urination clear. Then he said, now that's all that is up there. Here's the nuts and bolts of what happened and why. I had sent my unit in for annual service before the trip. All the oxygen sensors were replaced. All the O-rings were replaced. First stages were serviced. All the hoses were replaced and the latest upgrade to the unit installed. I got the unit back, but did not get an opportunity to dive the unit before packing it up for the trip. This was my first error. When we got on board, I put the unit together and did all the necessary items on the checklist. The next morning before the first dive, my computer was not connecting to the unit. Disconnected the cable, wiped the connectors, reconnected everything. Everything worked. This problem reoccurred a number of times during the week. Error number two. One of the first rules I was taught is very simple. Never start a dive with a known issue. I did anyway. 
kept an eye on it for the first five days. Everything worked okay. Then came the morning of the dive. First group splashed, followed shortly by my dive buddy. Grabbed my camera, put my, I'm not sure what that is, a parlez in on the mass strap and got into my gear. Buddy was in the water waiting for me and I let myself start to rush. This was another era. Things go really started to go bad and fast. I, I, I opened the oxygen and diluting valves, verified my bailout was on, checked my inflator. I put the loop in my mouth, went to the dive check, uh, went to the dive deck and jumped in the water. Final error was that I did not verify my solenoid was firing. In my rush to get into the water, I breathed the PO2 in my loop down to a level that would not support life. The computer was not connecting again to the unit, and the solenoid would not fire. In my rush to get into the water, I did not manually add O2, and I did not notice my dropping PO2. The rest is history. My buddy saw me and called for help, dragged me to the diver lift. Other divers on the boat pried my jaws open, forced as much oxygen as they could to my system till I started breathing again. They got me out of my gear, got me to, to the ER as fast as possible. Said the specific incident took place on a CCR, but even open circuit divers need to be diligent with their dive planning and dive preparation. Plenty of things that can go wrong with your equipment, both diving CCR and OC. Allowing yourself to skip pre-dive checks can be fatal, can lead to fatal consequences. The only things that saved me from becoming a thin line on a crappy spreadsheet were the fact that I inflated my wing more than normal since I had an extra bailout and the actions of the other divers on the boat. Had I been negative when I went into the water, or my buddy and the others had not been attentive, I would not have made it home alive. When I got back to the U.S., I sent the unit back to the factory. The computer was replaced, and the unit fully checked out. Once everything was verified to be operational, I took it out on a few dives. Obviously, my pre-dive checklist was very thorough. Verified my solenoid was operating even before standing up to jump. All systems are verified to be working properly. In hindsight, I learned a great deal from this incident. Future pre-diving planning and checklist will be done with this incident in mind. And if it takes me more than five minutes to get in the water, so be it. I've always been good about replacing cells. And before this, I was normally much better about my pre-dive. The bottom line is complacency can and will kill you if given the opportunity. And there may be little or no warning that's coming. The difference between life and death is a single breath. And when I took my last breath and I thought I should get back on the boat, it never crossed my mind to drop my bailout valve from my mouth and take a breath of air. Seems so obvious now, but once I took that dizzying breath, my mind was unable to think of the obvious. There was no clear thought at all. All the training, all the skills practice, all the thoughts that it'll never happen to me meant absolutely nothing. My brain simply did not tell me to do anything. There was no time to react when things get to that point. Don't let it happen. Please note I have left out the specific unit and the names of the others involved. The name of the piece is of absolutely no value here since the human failures were much greater were of a much greater significance. Could have been any unit, scenario would not have changed. The other divers involved have my internal great I can never gratitude. I can never repay them for saving me. Now, I went down and read some of the articles, and some of the feedback was, thanks for sharing the details of the incident. I don't think I've ever read such a detailed account 
of a PPO2 blackout incident before, and that's partial pressure of oxygen for those who didn't realize that. Should have said that before. It's a bit scary just how fast that can happen, even before you really started to dive. I also appreciate the comment made about the difference a non-negative entry made to this incident. I've had many debates about this with dive buddies who swear by negative entries. I say that going negative leaves you just one mistake from disaster. Had I not had mine inflated, I would be dead. So many incidents can be avoided with just the first few seconds on the surface to address a problem that is an easy fix while you still have atmosphere to breathe from and communication with others. I don't want to start an MCCR versus ECCR debate, but this sort of issue is exactly why I picked MCCR over 10 years ago. No wonky electronics and the O2 flows as long as the tank is on. And key items looking at the other people, it says, do not rush, do not cut corners, do not normalize deviance. That's an important statement. If you talk about that, we're getting The other one is, never start a dive with a known issue. Fix it or dump the dive. And doesn't necessarily mean with your regulator, meaning if you're doing open circuit, if you've got a problem with your inflator, BC, dry suit, why are you getting in the water? And it just said here, the biggest single contributor to many diving accidents, open circuit and closed circuits, I believe is rushing to get into the water. Very good article. Lots of good comments. That is amazing. I, you know, I like how they laid the article out and they kind of broke it into those three sections. They had kind of what his perception was beforehand. Then they had just that, that list, uh, you know, point by point which was great that somebody was logging that. And I take it as probably a mixture of, you know, a log taken on the boat of the activities and, and observations. And then some of them when he was in the hospital in that third section, which is, okay, what really happened? And uh, it, it, we, I've always drawn into that uh, rushing to try not to inconvenience others. You know, we're doing a dive or you're getting together. And I, I tend not to fall in that so much lately, like in the, uh, you know, the, the dive we did in the river, the ecology dive. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the, to go and find the most items, it's not worth rushing. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to rush, rush before you get there, not the prep setting up and getting in the water. And I, I like the other part. Don't normalize deviance. Meaning, yeah, I sort of hesitate. Yeah, my regulator bleeds a little bit. As soon as you start saying, and the reason is because you've got the experience, you can handle it. Yeah. But you're normalizing deviance, and that's going to kill you today. Yeah, you know, it's a, that's just only a little bit of air bleeding off the. Well, yeah, and it only sticks a little bit on my BC, and I'm going yeah. to 130 feet. Yeah. Yeah, I, nah. you know, I've got 3,000 pounds. It's, you know, I, yeah. And and, I, you I'll, know. Exhale. I'll exhale on the way up like a rocket. Yes. <laughs> the the other aspect I read, and it was like nine pages of comments. It got down to it that one. It also had a lift on the back of the boat. It sounded like an elevator lift type thing. Oh yeah. That they got him out of the water because if you've got that gear on, it's a real pain in the ass to get you up on that platform. They were lucky, and they had a different device. A lot of the comments came out as even before open water training, a lot of those people said. You really need to have rescue diver because 
a lot of them felt that if you don't have rescue diver, you're not going to know how to react to this kind of situation. And that is contributing to his being able to live. Number one was he was still had air in his BC. Otherwise, he'd have been toast. You figure another minute, he'd have been dead. Not even a minute. Uh, they got into the aspect they were talking about. People who do the um, to the uh, free diving, who do their breath holding and things like this, it's not yeah. unusual for them to pass out. And that was one of the other points they were bringing out. You, When you do it, you do it. You don't even realize you're out. So I, I thought it was an excellent, excellent article. Whether or not you're open circuit or closed circuit, it's, you know, I would go back there and reread that, get it. Look at all the comments because they're all good. So that was scuba board. It was under, you know, community threat, complacency kill. It's not just an empty threat. Oh, and this was November 2018. This is current. So it's recent. Yeah, it was posted November 1st, uh, but it was uh, posted on September 11, which is still pretty current. I mean, that's the end of the summer. Okay, yeah, I see Craig. I looked up a minute, didn't see Craig recording. Yeah, he, he's still recording. We're, I'm watching him like a hawk. Craig not going oh. anywhere. <laughs> he's still going after Craig. But Stand I just I, I look at this, and it's like I keep thinking, oh, we got some CCR guys in our group now, and it's this is the kind of stuff I'll probably put a, a note like this one to the next newsletter. And and I think maybe it might be worth, uh, you know, rescue diver for non-CCR divers with CCR divers. And they, were saying like, res- they were saying rescue, period. They really recommend having it because, you know, so you're new. Everybody's new. How do you save somebody if you're in and you're diving with your buddy who's as new as you are? Right. Well, we, we've got an experienced team, but do we know how to turn people from the closed loop to an open loop on their dive gear? No, I absolutely think- not. Most I think do. Bob's Bob's unit. I think he had showed me a couple times, but you know, it, probably at least once a year, it's worthy of being reminded. But uh, you know, Kevin and John, you know, and their units. I'm I haven't dove with them yet, but uh, I probably don't. I I wouldn't know without asking. So that's something I'm going to have to ask. Yeah, I would. If I did that, I would probably go to full face. So one, I wouldn't drop it out of my mouth. And I have the valve on it like I used to on my hard hat that it automatically, I can switch it to my bailout gas, period. So if you're afraid that, you know, the, the water, the air or something could be contaminated if you're doing your closed circuit and mm-hmm. you put it on that, at least I'm flushing my mask and I know I got a good bailout gas. Yeah. Yeah. I- and if I was rescuing somebody, you know, you turn that on, you know, you've got gas going to the mask. It was, it was a very thought-provoking, though. Normalized deviancy. I see that so much in little items that I do myself. Yeah, the, the normalized deviancy is just because we we think we can mitigate the risks. Because or, I'm diving shallow and it's yeah. ten feet of water. Yeah, and you and we and again, since we do it, we reinforce it, saying it's okay. See, I've been doing it a lot. I'd, well, I had to get out of that mindset. Yeah, and then you've been doing it, so uh, you, know, you get used to that problem, and you ignore it, and you say, "Ah, oh, it's just a little leak, or it's a little this." And then you've got another issue, and then another issue, and before you know it, you're you've mitigated two or three, and that's when things really start to go wrong. 
Yeah, because then you've cascaded it. And then if you happen to be on a big wreck, deep wreck instead of the river, did you let the same thing get you into that fault sense of security? So I enjoyed it. It was a good article. Wow, we burned that hour up, didn't we? Well, we, we certainly did. Uh, let's see, anything we want to plug coming up? Uh, we got the turkey dive on the 24th of November. That's the major one that we have for November. Yeah. Yeah, wow, it's November already, November yeah, 1st. Club elections on the 20th. Ooh, the day you want to miss. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you guys, <laughs> I had I missed the last one because of a robotics meeting, and I think you were, you were seriously trying to convince me that I'd somehow been uh, elected for some position. Didn't you, didn't you come down to uh, AJ's afterwards? We were congratulating oh, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, nice try. <laughs> so that's, a, that's always a warning. You always want to make sure you attend the election meetings if for any other reason than to turn down your nomination. <laughs> yeah, or volunteer somebody else. Yes, look for whoever didn't show up and, and nominate them. <laughs> yeah, we, we were debating, I think we were going to pass a resolution that uh, – Mayor Beth has got presidency for life. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing a good job. And I yes, think she, she is. Enjoys it, so I, I, we like having her there. Yes. Uh, and it's nice. We've, we've continued to pick up uh, more female divers. So it doesn't feel like it. Uh, there's a while there where, what was the term? A sausage party. Uh, it, was, it was a lot more guys than uh, women, but uh, it's, uh, it's still not quite 50, 50, but the ratio seems to be getting better. Well, if we could get a place that we could start eating again after the meeting, mm-hmm. we'd have a little more participation from the wives and stuff. My wife hasn't been. A lot of yeah. them aren't going because they use that as a social gathering, and that's exactly what the club is supposed to be, not yeah, just for the well, guys because we can't do it if the women don't really appreciate us going. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, I, I like uh, – yeah, yeah, we're just we're getting real local here, but the restaurant – the uh, the pizza place that we go to all the time is uh, it's gone to another generation of the family and it's not quite open as reliably as it used to be. In fact, it's never open on Tuesdays right? when when we go. So we've been moved down to the local bar, which I like. I mean, personally for me, I enjoy that better than Rome. Except but, when they have karaoke. Oh yeah. There, uh, this last week was this last time it wasn't bad. No, because everybody left where we got there. It was yeah. very comfortable last week. Yeah, so uh, and and that's how it seems to be half the time for me. But we have had that work, and the, they they're opening a pizza place next door. Have you seen that? I've seen something, but I don't, I didn't know. What it was. Yeah, I I think they're trying to get away from the because they they do uh they've done a comedy club and a karaoke bar and a bunch of other stuff, but it's the same old people, and I don't think they're quite getting enough money to cover it. So. Uh, they're going to try and they, they've, every time we go in there, they say that it's close. So there's something with paperwork or permits they're working on. I think it has to do the liquor license because they can serve pizza over there, but they, yeah, so it's, it, it'll be going soon. So maybe that will, uh, make it a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, well, we had a nice little crowd last time. Yeah, th- that was good. But you can only put so many people in the booth and then once you're splitting yeah. up everybody, you're losing part of the yeah well there there is in the back if you go in the back there's some longer tables but yeah we're getting in a really local information here um if you like to listen to the show you can follow us on facebook facebook.com forward slash 
Scoob Obsessed. On Twitter, at Scoob Obsessed, we have our website, www.scoobobsessed.com, and we would certainly appreciate your help. If you can uh, donate anything, you know, a cup of coffee or every so often, uh, $3 or more will get you early access to show notes. Go to scoobobsessed.com, click on over the Patreon link, give us a donation. And if you can help us anyway, if you want to give us uh, articles for the shows, uh, tips, anything, recommendations, and jokes. And before we go, I want to do a shout-out to Rod uh, in New Zealand, he has uh, been had some sort of situation going on that required a hospital stay. I see that he's getting well and getting out. So uh, we wish you the best, and hopefully you get in a condition where you get to do some diving soon. Absolutely. So I think we are to that time of the show. Are you ready? I am relaxed in my chair, holding okay. on to the rails. So this is just, I have a whole giant list, and you just let me know when you can't take anymore. Uh, these are just uh, some cheesy jokes or uh, some whatever we call them. So here we go. What do you do if someone says onion is the only food that can make them cry? You throw a watermelon in their face. What did the schizophrenic bookkeeper say? I hear invoices. A penguin walks in the bar, goes to the counter, and asks the bartender, have you seen my brother? The bartender says, I don't know. What does he look like? And then uh, how do you lose $400 gambling and $2 the $2 blackjack table? Patience. What did the pecan say to the walnut? We're friends because we're both nuts. What's the difference between a friend and a best friend? One will help you move, and the other will help you move a body. Better, <laughs> I, I think that's it. <laughs> Accomplice, I can see that already now. You're going to jail because you help your buddy. Well, that's one thing you got to think about. And I, I think I've heard that is that, uh, you know, divers, we go in places that very few have been before and nobody will may never be again. So if you want to know where to hide a body, ask a diver. <laughs> I keep thinking about that one uh, picture that uh, Mr. JM, Jim put out on that one foggy day. We're coming back in. You couldn't uh-huh. see 10 feet on the back of the boat is our empty sacks of concrete. <laughs> oh. What was that? Okay. <laughs> I saw that photo and I could not come to any comprehension of what that was. So those that was, we had been using some it. concrete. We were doing some work. <laughs> yeah. So, so those I'm watching on Facebook is they've they've they're showing a, sh- a shot of the back of the boat, and it is a foggy day. I mean, you it just looked like you were moving through a uh, snowbank. Yeah, it was just like a movie scene. And there's a bag of quickcrete <laughs> in your yeah. So, and the comment is, "Don't piss off a diver." <laughs> you know, lots of places. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Craig, I think it's time for you to get out of here. Boy, that Derek and Eric are hardcore, man. 
Yeah. They're still hanging in there. My wife already checked in to make sure I was still alive. 